What's up, Jets fans, and welcome back to episode two of Jet Nation Live. I am your host, Dylan Terman. Tonight, we're going to get into a couple topics. The Ravens lost 24 to 9 last Sunday. We're going to get into the Browns week two, another chance to rebound and, and bounce back. And we're also going to talk about prospects again, because, of course, that's one of our favorite things to talk about. Join, join with me is Glenn Naughton. Happy to have him back. We're here for episode two. We made it through episode one. How are we doing, Glenn? A couple uh, days removed from from the Jets' loss there, week one. Uh, you know, listen, it's um, we talked about it before the game. We both picked the the, uh, the Ravens to win. I didn't expect the Jets to win the game. Um, I did expect Joe Flacco to be better than he was. I didn't expect him to be great. Um, you know, I I say all the time how there's a people just kind of have this thing in their mind where you can only be great or terrible, and there's no in between. I expected Joe Flacco to be somewhere in between. Um, you know, of course, he only had the one start last year, but even in that one start against Miami, he looked far better than he did against uh, Baltimore the other day. There was some, you know, a lot of arguing about was it the O-line's fault? Was it Flacco's fault? Really, it was both of them. I mean, the O-line could have been better, but when Flacco had time, I know the numbers were padded late in the game and they said, oh, is, he wasn't bad and, you know, he was this for this with no pressure. Yeah, but a lot of that was late in the game with a, you know, you're down by a thousand. The defense is easing off a little bit. Um, but early in the game, even when he had time, he wasn't connecting. So that kind of, to me, removes the argument about he's, uh, you know, it, it wasn't his fault. It was he was under pressure because he wasn't always and he didn't do so great when he was. So it was that was the most disappointing part. I expected a loss. Um, I expected the defense to play well, and they did for the most part. But I expected the offense to score a couple touchdowns and not, you know, not a garbage time, a minute and six left to go in the game touchdown, which is what we ended up getting. Yeah, I'd have to agree with those initial thoughts. Um, when you first watched it live, you could sit there and blame Joe Flacco. Obviously, it was his fault. He was just holding the ball. He was an absolute statue. I think there was maybe five or six good throws when you go back and watch even the TV copy that were like, wow, he actually did something in his progression and not just a check down or throwing it away out of pressure. So mm -hmm. it was tough to watch that, but I do think I agree that it is also on the offensive line. We talked about um, on Twitter, Lake and Tomlinson not having his best jets debut. So uh, obviously some things need to be shored up on both offensive line and quarterback. We'll see. He has a bounce back chance. Joe Flacco was named the starter. So we'll see, but yeah, I have to agree. Those were my initial thoughts as well. And then on the flip side, I think on the surface, the defensive player obviously was LaMarcus Joyner. Um, and I, I hate to phrase it this way, but if LaMarcus Joyner would even played average, I think the Jets were a competitive team that could have stopped the Ravens from scoring 24 points, obviously with the, the defensive pass interference and then the miscommunication on the third touchdown. But it's just it was a tough look not seeing him all last season. And then this is your first game back after they brought you back on another one year deal. So on the surface to me, it was basically Joe Flacco and LaMarcus Joyner. Obviously we'll get into it a little bit more after watching. I know you watched them all 22 and I just watched the TV yeah. copy over. So you'll, you'll have to excuse me here. My, um, no, that's fine. My, my power source just came unplugged. So I'm working that while you're doing your thing. Not, not a problem. So I know you looked at the all 22. I looked at the TV copy again. I was charting some plays and it wasn't all that bad. I didn't think it was as terrible as it looked on the scoreboard. Obviously the jets 
And this is no, you know, consolation prize, no moral victories, like Salah said, but we outscored them in all phases. Rushing was 83 to 63, which I believe was the lowest ever for a Lamar Jackson led rushing offense. So that's huge. 307 to 213 passing. Obviously, I know that's a lot of garbage time, but a lot of those were yeah. on plays that ended up being 10 plus yard completions. He didn't throw it past 10 yards very, uh, very often, but they ended up being completions that went for first down. So it was decent to see that. And then on the negative side, two for 14 on third down is just unacceptable. I know it's week one and you have your backup quarterback and a reshuffled offensive line, but two for 14 is unacceptable. I think they were over at least their first nine or 10 chances until like the fourth quarter when they actually got some deep drives going, but they were able to hold the Ravens to five for 13 on third down. So that's huge as well. Again, the defense was one player away from almost looking like an NFL defense. And most of those players did. We've talked offline sauce and Reed. So defensively, you know, we held the Ravens time of possession. We won 32 and 30 to 27 and 30 seconds. So a five minute difference, but at that halftime, we also had the time of possession advantage and it showed, I think the jets did what we said last week that, that we wanted them to do. And that was come out, punch them in the mouth, limit them to a handful of opportunities that they, they didn't capitalize on until I think five minutes left in the second quarter, three minutes left in the second quarter. And all in all, I, after rewatching it, I didn't feel as bad as Sunday. Like if we did our show on Monday, I would have come in with a completely different outlook on the game. But after rewatching it, I think I had some positives to take away. And I just wanted to know what your thoughts were after watching the all 22. Yeah, um, I got through most of it. I didn't watch the whole thing, but mm-hmm. the, the LaMarcus Joyner plays were killer. Um, the other, you know, another play was, it really was a shame. Um, I mentioned this post game. I thought, uh, I thought I thought Hall got way too much flack for his play at corner on the touchdown. I think his coverage was outstanding. I think he was right there with the receiver with Duvernay. He got his hands up. He got his hands between the receiver's hands. He got a piece of the ball and swatted it a little bit. Receiver just made a play and held on. Um, and, you know, that's, I mean, you know, as we say, right, game of inches. That's a matter of a, an inch or two one way or the other, and that ball swatted away for an incomplete pass. But you can't have that pass interference call, and you can't have the uh, – you can't have the the mistakes that you had you, uh, on defense. That it it as and most games do they come down to a few plays, you know. Yeah, exactly. And I think the pivotal points of that game were there's maybe maybe two or three. I had them written down here. I think the end of the first half when Tyler Conklin fumbled and Garrett Wilson recovered, but took us. Um, way out of range and we had to kick a long field goal. I thought there was still a little bit of time left to actually put together, you know, enough to score a touchdown if he didn't fumble. And then coming out in the third uh, quarter, we stopped the Ravens pretty quickly. And uh, Robert Sala actually alluded to this as well. We came out in the third quarter on defense first. We got the ball back with like 12 and change. So a two minute drive for the Ravens. And we had a sack a screen that went for nothing. Surprise, surprise. And then a wasted third down op. So we punted the ball right away in, in the third quarter, right back to the Ravens. And I believe they scored two drives later after the man stinker. So when you just add those three plays together, I think that really was the pivotal point where the jets could not get over the hump of, you know, shooting themselves in the foot, essentially. That's so, exactly, exactly the words. And, as soon as you started that sentence, I thought shooting themselves in the foot. 
Yep. And yeah. the, the one-liner that I had for this game was it was a winnable game against a good team having a bad day. The Ravens, we made it tough for them on defense. Absolutely. Their rushing attack was not able to get going whatsoever. They had 11 in the first half. So we did what we sat up here last week and wanted them to do is punch them in the mouth. And they did it. And it just it didn't lead to the end result because the defense can only do so much. But I'm, I'm encouraged by the defense. I had one standout player here, two standout players, actually. Obviously, they're Sauce and Reed. Combined for nine targets, one catch, eight yards, an interception for DJ Reed, and two combined uh, pass breakups. They had one each. Sauce Gardner looks like a pro to me. I think for the number four overall pick, we can. I, I sat up here and, and hoped that they got Ika McQuanu. And I think not only after watching him get beat by Miles Garrett week one, but Sauce locking down Mark Andrews and only allowing an eight-yard completion. I was super happy for that pick. So he was he and uh, DJ Reed. Shout out to DJ Reed for um, his emotional performance after hearing about yeah. his dad passing. Yeah. So those two guys were my my two standout players, and I think those are the guys that the Jets can be happy they have in their back pocket. Did you have any standout players to you that? Um, I, I like. I like the way Quan Alexander played, especially showed up on the All-22. Um, looks, you know, he's not the same guy he was in Tampa Bay, but he he hasn't lost mm-hmm. a lot. And I remember, you know, he was a guy I wasn't very familiar with when he was drafted. And early in his career, sort of second, third year, I think, the, the Bucks played the Jets. And I just remember thinking, I was like, who the hell is this guy? Like, he is all over the place. You can see how he's going to be a 10, 12, 15 tackle a week guy. Mm-hmm. Um and I think the Jets did a great job of, of deploying him and Quincy Williams, kind of letting them both get reps. Um, and, of course, Quinton Williams earned the highest PFF grade in the NFL on D-line. Mm-hmm. Had some uh, had a really impressive pass uh, knock breakup early on and just did a really nice job in the interior. So, to me, Quinton and um, and uh, Quan, Quinton mm-hmm. and Quan just did a really nice job on defense. Of course, the corner stood out. You know, I'm – the thing, the thing is, I'm you know I'm trying to temper my my reaction a little bit because the the Ravens don't have the best receivers that they're going to sure, face. Sure, of course. But but I mean the potential for for Sauce to be there or you know to to be good is definitely there. I was actually I was a little disappointed in myself because um, I, just, I had a thought during the week. I actually mentioned this when I did the post game wrap up. Um, I almost said you know when we were before we did our breakdowns, you know you're going up and down the depth charts and looking at who's playing where. And I thought to myself, as thin as they are at receiver, I thought if I'm the Jets, I line Sauce up on the on the tight end a little bit. Mm-hmm. But but then I thought, you know, I thought back to last year when Salah was asked about that, about matching up, you know, moving corners around to have them follow the best receiver. And he's like, you know, we don't do that. We stick with the scheme. Whoever covers, you know, you just cover your guy. That's it. So I thought, well, if that's their philosophy, we're not going to see Sauce cover Mark Andrews at all. Right. Um, and then in game, we see him make a great play on an attempted, you know, deep pass TD that sauce breaks up. So I think that was a great call by the jets. I think, I mean, that's what you do. It, uh, that That's infuriating as a fan to sit there and, and hear a coach say, we're not going to put our best guy on their best guy because that's just not the way we scheme. Well, why shouldn't right. that be the idea? Like that's our best against win, their right? best. Exactly. You know, with, with, oh, we're just going to be stubborn. And, and, you know, if our guy's meant to be in that spot, that's where he's going to play no matter who's there. Um, so hopefully that's the jets waking up a little bit and realizing Look, these guys don't have any receivers who can really, you know, smoke us. So let's find that their biggest threat. Like that, this is this is what drives me crazy. And even though some of the shine is coming off because Brady is gone, 
But that's what Bill Belichick is so great at for years. He would find, I mean, he would find journeymen that other teams let go, but he would find a spot where he would go, if I have a, if I'm in a situation where I need a guy who can do this one specific thing, that's the three reps a week this guy is going to get. And he might make a play because he's good at that Mm -hmm. one thing, you know, and he just finds where guys fit and he gives them a chance. But then you get the stubborn sort of, nope, we run what we run. Guys will play where they play. And that's that. Um, So, again, hopefully this is a change in the Jets philosophy. I mean, it was week one anyway. Um, So, yeah, but but the corners looked excellent receivers. You know, the the depth at receiver aside, thought Quinnen looked great on defense. And I liked what we saw from Quan Alexander. Yeah. Um, flipping to a bit of a, a sour, not a sour, but a bit of a negative, but something I just wanted to see so much more of in this game were our wide receivers. We talked about that being our one of our most excited positions to talk about was the talent at wide receiver with obviously Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson coming into the fold, Corey Davis trying to bounce back. And it seemed like Joe Flacco did not want to look toward the wide receivers a ton. I think combined Brees Hall and Michael Carter had 16 or 17 targets out of Joe's 60. So that's almost a third of Joe's targets going straight to the running backs. Uzama wasn't targeted at all. And Conklin kind of ate up every target that the tight ends got after Cager slipped on the route and it turned into an interception. But Mm. why, why weren't they using the wide receivers as much? Do you think it was because the offensive line was not giving Joe as much time or is it just Joe holding onto the ball way too long and just not, looking to get Elijah Moore, Corey Davis, and Garrett Wilson open because it seemed like when he hit them, big plays happened, and we were excited. We were like, wow, that 39 by Garrett Wilson, why don't we see more of that? And this mm-hmm. is the first time we saw him in the second quarter. So what do you think was the reasons for the wide receiver usage being so little? Well, I mean, the, the reason they gave after the game is they wanted to go with 13 personnel, you know, bigger sets. They used a lot of three yeah. tight ends early. Um, and I mean, take them at their word, right? I mean, they took Garrett Wilson as high as they took him. Clearly they like him. Um, and he didn't get as many reps as you would have liked. And by the time he did start getting reps, it was late in the game and it was kind of over. Mm-hmm. Um, but something from Mike LaFleur today, um, that I saw Scott Mason tweet out that was really, it, it, it really aggravated me. It kind of goes to what I was literally just saying about Belichick, right? Um, LaFleur said about, um, Wilson exactly like verbatim what they were saying last year about Denzel Mims. Well, he doesn't know every single receiver spot on the roster. So until, I mean, dude, give me a break. Like the guy can play fine. Right. Listen, you can't tell me it, if, if Garrett Wilson has been uh, with this team for as long as he has, and he doesn't know a dozen plays that he can run that you can exactly. say, these are your plays today. And on, you know, you're going to be the primary on, on eight of 10 of these 12 plays. You're the number one guy. Yeah. Like, and so the ball's probably coming your way. If, if you're not doing that, you're failing as a coaching staff. I like I, I'm not going to repeat it, but I just spelled it out. Bill Belichick, the guy that always comes to mind to me because I was, it was I was living in Philly at the time, or just outside Philly, and every week on Philly radio, the safety Patrick Chung was getting killed, and he he was getting beat every week, beat like a drum, and callers are calling in, they're killing him, they're killing him. Finally, the Eagles let him go. Bill Belichick picks him up. I think he'd already been with the Patriots once before. Bill Belichick picks him up. And, like, the guy just starts making plays. He gets, like, a big interception on Monday Night Football, and the Philly fans like, what the hell is going on? This guy was a bum for us, and all of a sudden he's a superstar. Because Bill Belichick looks at a guy and says, here's, like, two or three things this guy's good at, so that's all I'm going to ask him to do. And he, that's what the, the Jets should be looking at Garrett Wilson right now and say, okay, Garrett, 
You don't know every single route for every single receiver uh, spot on the field. Right. But you do know these 50, and we're going to narrow it down to 12 or 10, and you're going to be the primary guy in those plays, and you're going to see eight targets. They could do that. That being said, though, Dylan, we have to, you know, because I saw when I saw people complaining about who's getting how many targets, we got to get used to that. And, And I mean that in a good way. Yes, absolutely. They've put together a deep enough roster of receivers that there will be weeks where very good receivers don't get a lot of targets Yep. because you don't get to throw 75 passes a game. Although this week they tried, but when you've got Corey Davis, Elijah Moore, Garrett Wilson, Braxton Berrios, Conklin, Uzama, the backs, like there are going to be weeks where some guy doesn't see any targets or maybe only sees two. But when the offense is sputtering, um, you want to see the best guys get, get some opportunities. That being said, and I think some others have already said it, um, the way Garrett Wilson played, this probably isn't going to be a problem moving forward. Get him on the field. Get the ball in his hands. And Corey Davis, look, he had the early drop. It sucked. Mm-hmm. I get it. I mean, you could have seen me roll my eyes. Like, I'm the guy that spends all offseason. I'm like, the drops were a fluke. The drops were a fluke. Yeah, yeah. We're not going to see that from him this year. Corey yeah. Davis, huge bounce back year. First target, he dropped it. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. But then after that, six targets, six catches, and like some really good catches. He got blasted coming over the middle and held on. He had a, a play yeah. where he's in the flat. He's got a DB draped over his back. He makes a leaping catch. Like six catches and, and two or three really good ones. Um, the drop early, of course, you know, everyone's like, oh, that was a turning point. That set the tone. Like that's a little dramatic, a little over the top. Yeah, that's a little overblown. But I, I think with these receivers, um, uh, like I, it was infuriating to hear them say, oh, Garrett didn't play because he doesn't know every stop. Just get him a package of plays that he knows while you work him into the rest of the offense and get him some targets. Exactly. And while you were just talking about that, it, it it sparked something in my head when I was going back and looking at the play charting because, yeah, Michael Flores said that Garrett Wilson might not know the whole playbook or all the positions. They had seven plays inside the red zone. That's it, just seven. Garrett Wilson was targeted on two of those passes. They weren't all uh, – they were all pass plays, and Joe Flacco, I believe, got sacked on one of them. So for – Garrett Wilson to get two out of seven red zone looks and not really knowing the playbook. I think that's encouraging signs for what he can do when they fully unleash him in this offense. Obviously they wanted to go 13 personnel involve cager. I think that was a mistake obviously, but it does show me what they're going to do. Maybe when Rucker is fully healthy and I think Rucker can do what they want cager to do a little bit better. So I I like that. Um, So realistically we're not too it doesn't sound like we're too uh, upset about the game obviously we both picked the ravens um we had it within a touchdown so it didn't happen as close as we liked but i think 15 points with the defense showing as much promise as they did and the offense struggling mightily and still being able to look somewhat decent all in all it was an expected type of loss i know a lot of jets fans are overreacting Fire Sala, fire what? Joe Douglas. Overreacting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? Could you no imagine? Way. We we bottle up all the energy for nine months and then one week, week happens one. and yeah. it's it's not as bad as it looks. Obviously, we've watched it back, and I know some fans don't always watch it back, but it didn't sound like it was that bad. I I it sounds like you're not on the fire anybody train yet, but how how much of an overreaction do you think it is if these types of things continue do you think it's gonna just snowball or do you think it's already at the point of it's ready to 
avalanche now and one more loss could really set this place on fire. I I think that just speaking for me, because some fans mm-hmm. are going to overreact no matter what, but I sure. think to me, I'm going to panic a little bit if Zach Wilson comes back and they lose like his first three or four games. Right. It's going to be like, look, man, like this guy, he's got to start making plays. Like we're not asking him to win a Super Bowl. Right. We're we're saying, come in. You've got all the weapons in the world. Um, and that's what makes it tough. You know, that's what makes it, um, you know, we, we've talked about it, right? No excuses. We've seen Mark Sanchez win with this team. And, mm-hmm. I mean, Zach Wilson sure as hell better be a better player than Mark Sanchez was. Or oh, we're in trouble. Right. Um, you know, it, it's just you can't be – you can't come out. You can't come off the injured list. And fans aren't going to want to hear he's just coming back from an injury. Like, produce. Um and unfortunately, we only got to see one real drive in the preseason, and he throws a pick, you know, to a guy standing right there, and that was discouraging because it was so – it just happened so quickly, you know. you Like you said, we get fired up. We're all excited for the season to start, preseason or not. Like, hey, let's go. Drops back, interception. You're like, Jesus Christ, man. Like, give us something to cheer about. Wait, and then almost he, time for this. Then, then he hurts himself. You, you, you just sit there like, Jesus. Yep. And, and that's the other thing. Like, can they do another year – of, you know, um, of 0-4 in September, you know, dude, I don't want to, like, I know we're talking draft, but I we're talking draft because we enjoy the draft. I don't want to be talking because we have the top five a few weeks from now. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it. I'm so tired of that. I love the draft, but I'm tired of, you know, it's not even Halloween and we're like, all right, well, we're probably picking in the top three. Yeah. Firing up the mock drafts already. And yeah, I, I, I have it, man. That, that's exactly. the thing. That's when I'm going to worry. If Zach Wilson comes back, which threw in live, threw in seven on seven today, maybe he'll be back next week, hopefully. Yes. But if he comes back and they lose two or three or four in a row and like, and our, and the offense still looks like this, but that what, this is my question for you, Dylan, because this is what I was wondering. And I know mm-hmm. we don't know. We can just, we're just guessing. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Jets win this game if Zach Wilson is playing quarterback? Because when I'm seeing these pockets break down and Joe Flacco just stands there, yeah, I'm, I'm seeing all that open field on a couple of the scrambles where there's open field, but it doesn't matter because Joe Flacco can't get there. And I'm thinking to myself, if that's Zach Wilson, that's an eight or nine yard gain instead of a, a one yard gain. And you keep the chains moving. And, you know, some of these plays, maybe he's not checking. Maybe he's buying time with his feet and throwing to some of these open receivers. I know it's a hypothetical, but I could see a scenario where if Zach Wilson played, they maybe win this game. Yeah, I definitely think that there is an absolute chance that if he played that um, they would have even made it closer, if not been within, you know, who has the ball last type territory with the game. There was, I believe it was the Michael Carter drop at the goal line. Somebody posted the all 22 of it and Garrett Wilson was coming across right to left. Joe Flacco hadn't released the ball yet and Garrett was like stepping past the closest defender breaking free and he threw it and dumped it down to Michael Carter. And everybody's like, Zach Wilson would have made that throw. And I agree. I think Zach Wilson would have had the balls to make more of those throws that Joe Flacco didn't. Yeah. Um, that being said, Joe Flacco threw 59 times. And according to PFF, had zero turnover-worthy plays. So for context, Tua threw like 270 yards and a touchdown, but had two turnover-worthy plays, according to PFF. So you can really see how... And I, would, I mean, I, I would disagree with that only because I know Cager slipped on that ball. Right. But I, I think that ball could have been picked either way. 
Um, so that, that, I, I yes, that ball I posted, was up and away. Like that exactly. would have taken a hell of a I posted it on danger. on Twitter the the end zone angle in the replay, and I said even against a too high shell, if Cager does not slip, you don't throw that pass because the free safety had to jump for it. So it was going to yeah. be over Cager's head. I don't exactly. care how tall you are. Exactly. So yes, I get that 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 stat is a little yeah. bit um, wonky in a sense because he did throw a turnover. Uh, he had a turnover, so it would be. I guess how they described it was it's all on Cager because he's right, that's what I mean. That, so that, that's where I think the difference right. I think I they're saying think it was such a slipped. large I right. think it still be picked. Yes, just a large sample size of 60 passes, and that was your right. really only mistake if we want to count it as one. I think that is the part that makes me say, Well, shoot, if Zach Wilson was in there, maybe they might have had a couple more turnovers because he would have fit the ball into tighter spots and they were doing a lot of rolling and disguising of coverages. I didn't need the all 22 to see that they were finding very unique ways to bring four rushers, sometimes five, but mostly four, they were dropping a lot and bringing up safeties. Um, and I think that would have confused uh, Zach Wilson too, but no, I agree. He would have given us a higher chance to win the game just off the guts to go for the deep passes and utilize the wide receivers and all the talented playmakers. I think Conklin would have been more involved earlier Perhaps they might not have done a lot of 13. They would have done more 12, which is what they want to be. So I do think that Zach Wilson would have given them a better chance, despite me not thinking Flacco had a the worst performance ever. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is you can say on the one hand, Flacco, you know, not a lot of turnover worthy throws, but a lot of it was because it, he was so conservative. And that's maybe right. why you're not making any plays. You know, exactly. Like Zach maybe throws one or two picks, but you know what? Maybe he airs it out to, you know, there were a couple plays where guys were open down the field. So Corey Davis a couple times, mm. you know, where on, on the all 22, you're thinking if Flacco pulls the trigger there and he's on target, that's a big play. But yep. instead it's wait, 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 check down to Barrios, check down to the back. So on the one hand, it's like, hey, no turnovers, right? But because you're only throwing the ball inside of 10 yards the whole day and, and let, letting your receivers walk the defense, you know, deep into the secondary and then dumping it off. So it's, it's one of those things where I just think Zach, I think Flacco, especially like in today's game, like we know Flacco doesn't have mobility, but the number of times he needed it just made it stand out that much more. And you're like, Jesus, it's 2022, man. You cannot be that stiff in the pocket and expect to win. um, Unless you're, unless you're an elite arm talent, which Flacco no longer is. Um, took too long to make decisions. Uh, you know, we say it all the time, right? That two and a half seconds is sort of the standard in the NFL. That's the ball should be out by two and a half seconds. Yeah. Maybe, maybe some longer developing stuff on a third and 18 or something late in the game. But for the most part, you want the ball out in two and a half, three seconds. And the number of times I counted four seconds, five seconds, and he, he's still holding on to the ball. So you can tell me the offensive line was terrible, but if he's, if, if he's, there was one play, you know, I think I, I posted it. I, I tweeted it out where, yeah, he had pressure. But he he's the, the pressure arrived at the three and a half, four second mark, and he sidestepped it. And the guy was taken out of the picture. And then he had another second or two, and he just throws it in the dirt. You know, the receiver standing eight yards away. He throws a seven yard dirt ball. And I'm looking at that. I'm I'm thinking that you're gonna blame that on the on the O line. Oh, he was under pressure. Well, he wasn't until he waited until he was, and then he wasn't again, and then he threw it in the dirt. Yeah. So you brought it up. How many passes past 10 yards? And I saved this next gen stat for that purpose. Look how many dots are within 10 yards. There's about 15 of his 60, six zero passes that went beyond 15, uh, 10 yards. That is not acceptable. That is the area where Zach Wilson would have 
taken advantage. And there were, look, there's green dots there. It's not a matter of he didn't have the opportunities. And I think when I go back on the all 22, it will definitely expose a couple um, wide open receivers that he just was either too scared or didn't know what to do and just checked it down and took what he could get. And I understand that's like the fail safe of most backup quarterbacks, but Joe's been around long enough to know, and we've seen it like his deep ball is usually his calling card. We should see more shots down the field, even if they don't end up as completions and you get a long defensive pass interference, like the Ravens did with LaMarcus Joyner. And it flips the field in that way. Like checking it down to 10 yards does absolutely nothing for the progression of your offense. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that. I wanted to throw that up there and use our screen sharing tool yeah, as and, well. So. And listen, the, the part that makes this, that makes it sting. And you know, this is what I said after the game is that the whole reason Joe Flacco is here is because he's supposed to be the, the cool, calm veteran mm-hmm. who can make quick reads and quick decisions and, and, yep. and maybe get you a win. Well, if he can't do that, then why is not, not why is he playing? Why is he on the roster? Right. Exactly. I mean, yep. You can't you can't tell me whether you want Mike White or not. You can't tell me he would have been worse than Flacco. I right. mean, again, again, maybe he throws a couple of picks, but Mike mm-hmm. White likes to air it out a little bit. Exactly. So on, some of the, on some of those Joe Flacco checkdowns, those are Mike White deep shots. And maybe yeah. he hits a couple of those. So maybe maybe you score a touchdown before the 59th minute if it's Mike White. But if you kept Joe Flacco to say he's the calm presence who can just, you know, he's seen it all before. He can read a defense. He can get the ball out. He didn't do any of those things. So if right. that happens again this week and this week with Miles Garrett on the other side, I don't know that he'll have that four and a half seconds at any point or two and a half. Um, so that's, you know, that's a whole different ball game. But this week he had shots to make plays and he didn't. And I think if it had been Zach Wilson or Mike White, maybe there's a couple more picks in there, but maybe maybe a couple of deep shots down the field to get you some points. Yeah, I agree. I think Mike White would have done the same thing Zach Wilson would have done as far as been more daring to to, test the defense even because if you don't test the defense, you can't get your run game going. And I think that showed in in the discrepancy of 59 pass attempts to 18 rush attempts. So we're going to need to see a little bit more of a even game plan, especially against the Browns. And I think that that should just bring us right into it right into the week two preview against the Browns. Um, like I just said, the run game, that has to be the key. So I have to, I, Oops, sorry. Sorry, I, I have to, uh, this is my fault. I have to backtrack. We haven't talked about Lakin Tomlinson. Oh yes, please, please do. Please do. I mean that to me, you know, you talk about overreacting. Yep. Um, and I, I try not to, but I can't believe how bad he was. And I, I didn't notice it quite as much until I read like, I literally watched the game, watched the pressers, did a quick 10-minute recap for the Jet Nation channel, and went mm-hmm. back and watched the game again. And I was like, oh, my God. He is consistently getting walked back into the pocket. I mean, guys making it look easy. It, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he wasn't trying, but it looked like he wasn't trying. Right. That, that to me, was the most alarming thing on Sunday was late in time. And listen, I get it. It's one game. I understand that. But when you were supposed to be the Pro Bowl veteran who knows the system, plug like he was supposed to be the one guy where there were no questions. Yep. He's got the resume. He knows the offense. He's got the history. He's durable. He's not afraid to take on Aaron Donald. This is everything we were told. And he goes out. He gave up eight pressures. And not one of them looked difficult. 
yeah. lot of the a lot of the Joe Flacco defenders being thrown into his lap, those were the guys Lakin Tomlinson was supposed to block. So I'm not gonna freak out because it's only one game, but like show me a guy who earns as much praise as Lakin Tomlinson does or has that has a game like that. Every he was the worst guy on the O line. Max By Mitchell far. was better than him. Yep. Max Mitchell in his first NFL start was better. Even yep. early on, the, the Clay Campbell sack, that was because Lakin Tomlinson got driven into Joe Flacco's lap and then and he Flacco had to rolled a little bit to his right, and that's where Clay Campbell happened to be coming. And live, you might go, oh, look, Max Mitchell just got beat for a sack. Well, not really. Yeah. Like, Max Mitchell's guy ran into the quarterback because Lakin Tomlinson was driven into the into deep into the pocket. And Tomlinson did it all day. Listen, again, one game. Right. But it, it, it was that bad. Put it that way. For, like, for a little, normally for, say bad game. I'm not worried. A game that bad. Yeah. I'm like, exactly. Mm, that, that's, I, I will probably be watching him closer than any other player on the field on Sunday. Yeah. Exactly. For being the, the veteran free agent acquisition that everybody was most excited to see, familiar with the scheme. You know, he's been there, he's done that. For a little bit of context, I know it's one game, so I, I'm not going to overreact, but it was it was alarming. And without the All-22 even, it was alarming. PFF had Lakin Tomlinson with a 36.8 run block grade, 39.5 pass block grade. So absolutely in the red of reds, not good for PFF grades. For for a comparison, his his partner, who we were you know supposed to think was the best guard duo in the NFL, you know, our, our own GM said that. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker did have an elite PFF grade in the run blocking department, 91.9. His, his pass blocking department, 45.5 was a little, was a little low, but everybody's pass protection was bad in this game. But no, Lakin was absolutely a, a, a bad sore spot, a black eye for this, uh, for this offensive line, which it wasn't supposed to be him. It was supposed to be Max Mitchell. And he looked good against yeah. veterans, like like you said, Campbell. He was going up against veterans, and he was holding his own. So, yeah, Lakin, I'm concerned about. I hope he's the one that gets it turned around the quickest, though, and then we won't have to sit here and talk about him getting walked back and almost breaking Joe Flacco's leg on the third offensive play from scrimmage. Yeah, I went back and looked. That was his lowest PFF grade since 2019. <sighs> wow. Since That's... week 11, 2019. In your debut with a new team, it's not a good look. But no, no, we we gotta hope. We gotta hope one somebody. Game, one game. Exactly, exactly, exactly. That's all you can tell yourself. What else are you gonna do? It's right, gonna, exactly. But it's gonna it's gonna be a big game too for everybody up front yep, because yep. I think, like we said, you have to get back to running the ball. And Salo was kind of using this as a moral victory, even though he said there were no moral victories. But they had six yards per carry in the first half, so the run game was efficient. Michael Carter had a big run. Brees Hall had a burst up the, the right sideline. So both running backs looked explosive when given the opportunity. I just think they got away from it too quickly. So with this game, for me, I know you have similar notes, but it, my two bullet points are Nick Chubb slash Kareem Hunt and Miles Garrett. It's not a matter of what the Jets do to win the game. It's a matter of stopping those three players to me to give yourself a chance because if you don't stop miles Garrett, if you don't stop Nick Chubb, even Kareem hunt to a degree will, will, will eat you up. So those three are my, my shining, you know, the, the guys that I'm putting the spotlight on for us to, to handle. How do you think this offensive line can rebound against a player like miles Garrett, who had six pressures and two sacks against the Carolina Panthers. And he went up against Ika McQuanu and, 
did, it made him look like a rookie introduced to the NFL. Listen, I think that uh, it, they're going to have their hands full no matter what. It's you know I want to say uh, you know work on just getting the ball out quickly, but there's no reason to believe Flacco is is going to do that right. after what we just saw from him when we take a miraculous turnaround. Obviously, you're going to give a ton of help that way. You know whether it's multiple tight ends or I, I don't see. I don't see it making a, a huge difference if you have Lawrence Cager helping out. Like, you know, you, you better have Conklin on that side, you mm-hmm. know, whichever side uh, Garrett is on because, um, you know, George Fant, he struggled a bit too. You know, we get you kind of give him a little benefit of the doubt because he's flipped back and forth so many times. You still expect him be, to be better than he was. But if you're going to put him against Miles Garrett after the way he just played, if I'm the Browns and Miles Garrett, I'm licking my chops. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got you to keep some backs in there, get, get, give him help with the, with the tight ends. And again, it's as I just said, it's 2022. You can't have a quarterback who can't move. The Jets do. What are you going to do? Roll Joe Flacco out? How much of a difference is that going to make? You know what I mean? Miles Garrett in a half a step is going to cover as much ground as Flacco covers, you know, on, on five or six strides. So it's right. really, he just lacks that ability completely. So maybe keep the ball inside the numbers, you know, try to hit the tight ends a lot in the middle of the field to keep the chains moving because you're just not going to have the time to drop back and throw down the field to the, to the receivers. And I don't think you can have another week where everything is inside of 10 yards because then the defense are just going to sit on it and you're going to throw three or four picks. You know, at some point you have to do something to back the defense off. So, you know, those are the things I'm, or he's the biggest thing I'm worried about on defense. But as far as the Browns offense, I think that, you know, of course they have the running game, but remember, you know, they, they added Amari Cooper this off season uh, Donald, mm-hmm. Donovan Peoples-Jones, the big receiver out of Michigan, who I really liked a couple years ago, played well for them at times last season. And then, of course, David Njoku, who is I, I loved coming out and co- uh, coming out with Miami a few years back. He's been a little bit of a disappointment. He's, he's flashed a little. I really thought they were going to let him walk this offseason. And they kept him. So the, the Browns are a team with a lot of weapons, and it's going to come down to how well this, this Jets defense, this front seven, can they get to, you know, can they pressure and hit Jacoby Brissett and force some turnovers? Yeah, I, I agree. I think you have to utilize your tight ends in more of like a block and release type game plan. I'm hoping that Jeremy Ruckert is fully healthy. He was, a, I guess, maybe a healthy scratch because he practiced and then was inactive. But he's, I think he's still dealing with that foot injury. I just don't think that they've said anything about it. But it, there's no reason why he should be inactive week one if his foot is a hundred percent. So maybe something happened and he re-aggravated it in preseason. It's hard to tell, but I think if they can get him healthy block, yes, put at least one to two tight ends on Miles Garrett side, chip him, knock him into the dirt. Don't let him even have a chance. And then they can still run out and do a route. Don't, don't like, don't make yourself vulnerable by having seven or eight man protections with only two wide receivers running routes, because the what like you said if you don't throw it past 10 yards down the field defenses are just going to sit on that they're not going to be worried about a two-man route and it showed in week one they did a lot of seven not not a lot but they had a couple of seven or eight man protections where it just got blown up in their face they had a four-man rush on eight protectors and it didn't look good so if if that was you know a sign of what was to come i'm not too enthused but i think ruckert healthy uzama get all these guys physical and they were physical. I'll give them that, but you have to be more physical against miles Garrett or else you stand no chance, especially with like a Joe Flacco type. And then my, my other, my other bullet point sticking, um, 
sticking sticking with it. I think the run defense is my biggest. I don't know how to put it. It's my biggest worry, but it's also a big, it's like, I have confidence in it, but I, it's, it still worries me because we it's saw it. it. It's a limited sample size. You know what I mean? I'm trying to hard yeah. to explain I, it. But I, it's, I, it's, no, no. I, I think what you're saying, cause I feel the same way is that you love the way they played, but this is a much bigger test. Right. Um, exactly. So, yes. so yeah, it's like, okay. Kind of like what I said earlier with the corners and the receivers, like they played well, but it's like, it's one game against a team that was a little bit lacking at that spot. Um, so even though, you know, with the Ravens, obviously Lamar didn't run a lot, you know, mm-hmm. how much of that was scheme and how much of that was Lamar saying, I don't want to get hurt before I get this contract. Exactly. Like, yeah. I'm in the middle of trying to get a $300 million deal. And you think I'm going to run down the middle of the field and let somebody snap my leg in half. Um, so that, Not that our may defense. Have, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that may have been a uh, part of his deci- decision-making, <clears throat> but yeah, that I know exactly what you're saying. Cause that's, that's where I am. I, I, I have confidence in this front seven. But until they've proven they can do it, you look at this Browns running game and you go, ooh. But but it, you know what, though? That's the great thing. It's a great test. If exactly. you go out there this week, you know, I mean, look, you're going to give up yards, you know. But if they don't run all over you, like if you if you limit these guys and, and hold them, you know, below, you know, well below what you would expect them on a, on a normal Sunday, mm-hmm. then you take that. You know, you, you keep them at three, three and a half yards a carry. And, you know, if they combine for 110, 115 yards, that's not the end of the world. Right. Um, and that's what you want. And I think they're good enough to do that. Uh, I think CJ Mosley is going to be a, be a big part of that. And I think as physical as his run game is, I think Quincy Williams will be a lot of fun to watch this Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And I wanted to to talk about injuries because the run defense took a little bit of a hit with an injury this week in practice. I believe the injury was sustained during the game, but he was limited in practice, did not practice yesterday, and he was limited in practice today. And that's Jordan Whitehead. Um, he was the big reason, in my opinion, why the run defense couldn't get going. I felt like he was all over the place. And yeah, like you said, we have confidence, but it is a much bigger test. They combined for 180 something yards, Hunt and Chubb did last week. So that's, that's nerve wracking for a, a relatively small sample size for our run defense. And it's also a big test for, for sauce. Like you mentioned, we don't want to get too overblown on the corners because now he's going up against a a pure route runner in Amari Cooper. And I saw some clips of Amari Cooper cutting people up on the Panthers and didn't get targeted or the ball was just too far. Exactly. So this is going to be a big test all around, despite Jacoby Brissett being the quarterback. And if they can get after him, yeah, I think this is a game that it's a big test, but this is a, this is another winnable game. So I don't know how we keep ending up in this cycle of it's a winnable game and then you get let down and then it's well, somehow still a winnable game. Well, that, that's the thing. That's just where the jets are right now. They're, right. they're good enough that, I mean, they don't have to play a perfect game because, mm-hmm. you know, in years past, yeah, they, they were so bad. They couldn't make one mistake. Now that now you, you've got the talent there, but again, if they lose this game and you can once again, kind of squarely put it on Joe Flacco, um, that's why it's going to be it. The key is is Wilson, man. If they lose two or three games with Flacco, yep. you go, all right, well, what are, what are you going to do? You got a veteran who can't move. He's holding on to the ball forever. Now let's get the kid in there. And if the results are the same, that's going to be right. I, I don't think they will. I, I Maybe maybe it's just pure denial, but right. I, just, I, just, I just know Zach Wilson is physically capable of things that Joe Flacco is not, even if Flacco is a little more, well, is supposed to be a little more savvy. Um, but it's going to be um, – th- this is the position they're going to be in. They're going to be against teams with – it's winnable, 
but they're still not at the point where they're they're avoiding, as you said earlier, shooting themselves in the foot. They kind of find ways to lose games, and teams go through this, and the Jets have been going through it for a long time. Yeah, and and I'm glad you brought up Zach Wilson again because that reminded me, um, although he's not going to play this week, we've pretty much confirmed that uh, Flacco will be the starter we have seen Zach Wilson at practice. He did a little bit of seven-on-seven work. He was doing some bag drills, S&Y videos, put it out. He was doing the bags, and he wasn't favoring his right knee at all. He was moving very fluidly. So before we get into our score predictions and and, uh, and everything else from the Browns game, do you think there's a chance that if Zach Wilson is as healthy as it looks like he is in these videos and at practice – if he logs some full practices next week, do you think he can surprise everybody and and be the guy against the Bengals? Regardless of 1-1, one 0-2, one, oh whatever the record is, do you think there's a chance? I, listen, look, he's your starter. And if he's mm-hmm. practicing, you know, even if he's <clears throat> even if he's 80% at practice, like starting players play when they're a little dinged up. Yep. Um, and I saw some of the videos today, and I'm looking at it thinking, how does this guy not play next Sunday? Like, I, I'd be yep. a little disappointed if he doesn't. So I mean, you know, you can't you can't say for sure it's going to happen, but I'm not going to be thrilled if it does. If if he's on the bench again next week, that that's, I think it's a bad look. I think he's uh, you know, again, this was supposed to be a full season. Then it was maybe he's be, he'll be back by week one. Um, can we can we get him back by week three? That'd be fantastic. But you just never put it past this team, man. Never put anything past them. Yep, and I I think I'm gonna go and and walk the plank one more time with Robert Sala and trust something that he says at the podium. I know very daring, but he said, if Wilson logged a full week of practices, he could be the starter. So I'm going to be watching every injury report next week to make sure if it's an FP next to Zach Wilson's name, even on Wednesday, he should be the starter. This is no more of this. Don't because now it looks like you're protecting him for the wrong reasons. This is somebody who needs to be out there, not only so that he can learn, but so you can learn what you have in your future. If yep. we have to see more than the Pittsburgh game of Joe Flacco and or Mike White or Chris Strebler, that's not good. That's not yeah. good enough. And we need more games of Zach Wilson. So, yeah, I agree. If he's healthy and playing, he's got to He's got to just play him. Play your best yep. players, even if they're not 100% because nobody is. So that's good. All right. Last part of it. We're going to give our predictions. Um, I'll let you go first. I have one written down. and. I think it'll surprise people. Uh, score prediction. Listen, after Sunday, I can't. I can't pick the Jets with Joe Flacco under center. I just can't. I, I don't know how you watch what he just did and say, "Oh yeah, they're going to win this week." Um, so I think they find a way to lose to the Browns. Um, I'm going to say, let's say, 24-13 Cleveland. Wow. Okay. So it's a bigger, bigger margin than I thought, but it's understandable, especially if you know Whitehead doesn't play, and we do have some other injuries, Franklin Myers as well, and. Garrett, Garrett, Miles Garrett can ruin your whole game plan within three scripted plays. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, again, going to be a little bit more optimistic. I'm closer. I feel like this game is going to be within reach, and it might be one of the first who has the ball last games for the Jets. Um, I talked about this, I believe, on Green Bean Show. The Jets went four for four in one-score ball games last year. Um, it was Miami twice, Carolina, and Tampa Bay realistically if the ball bounces one or two ways in those four games the jets could be seven and one in one score ball games i feel like we were that close last year with such a bad roster that if we can keep it close against this team and take advantage like i said the the ravens were a good team having a bad day 
the Browns are a middling team. And even if they have a good day, the Jets could still match them. So that's what I'm hoping for. I, my score is 17 to 14. I think the Jets cover. They keep it a little bit closer. But it's it's going to come down to me if Flacco is the same Flacco, we might be screwed and 24 to 13 might look a lot more realistic. But if if they just fix those one or two little things, Will Parks on defense is going to help a lot, I believe. Um, yeah. So there's just one or two things I think can really keep it a one score ball game. So, so my prediction was 17 to 14 Cleveland. All right. So, all right. That's the week two preview. And now our last segment of the night to close it out, we're going to talk a little bit of draft. Um, we didn't really have uh, any topics written down for the draft segment. So I was just going to introduce um, one of my guys that I want two guys that I watched over the summer and I've, given them a, a rough grading um, one's more well known and one's not so well known. So um, if you, if you want to kick it off, you can with your, with your draft stuff. Um, I'm not sure what you have, but I'll let you go first. Yeah. Um, w- one guy, I, I can't remember if I mentioned him on the show, Dylan, I know I mentioned him too, but it might've been a sidebar so kind of off mm-hmm. the air. Um, really not a well-known guy at all. Um uh, TJ Banks, he's a tight end for Akron for the Zips. He yes. did play for West Virginia last year, um, and his stats were almost nothing. Like, he did close to nothing, um, primarily a blocking tight end. Um, just I just saw one play from him. I forget who it was against. Was was it I, – I forget. It might have been Iowa. I can't remember. But he, he just made one play where, you know, it was, it was nothing spectacular, but, you know, made a guy miss, barreled a guy over, and just was a really hard guy to bring down. And I thought, you know, this is literally the first play I'd ever seen him make. So I thought, oh, let me look up this guy's numbers. He looks like a player. And like he had like seven catches on the year. So I'm like, all right, well, this guy this guy can, looks like somebody who can do something if you get on the ball. Um, they're just not – that's just not happening, which sometimes you get that in college. So I, I look back at when he was a recruit, you know, when he was coming out of high school. He was one of the highest touted tight ends in the country. Went to West Virginia where they used him as a blocker. Now he goes to Akron where he's probably going to see the ball more. And I really want to see him this week because they're going against Tennessee. Tennessee's an improved team. So now he's going to be playing a big-time program. You figure Akron's going to lose big, so he should see a fair number of targets. Well, I should say Akron should be throwing the ball a lot late. Sure, I would imagine yeah. I would imagine Banks will get some targets. And, and I'm, I'd love to see the guy get eight or nine targets against a Division I, you know, a bigger Division I school and see how he does. Like I said, you don't, you don't draft a guy based on one play. But um, reading his history, you know, coming into college, he was a big time prospect. And with the very, very limited opportunities he had, I thought he looked impressive. Um, so I'm looking forward to watching him. And uh, even though the Jets will not be drafting a quarterback, um, I'm interested in watching uh, Fresno State's Jake Hayner this week. I really thought he looked I was really impressed by him last year. I watched probably four or five Fresno State games, primarily because they had some receivers that I liked. They had two or three receivers that I, I thought were really good players. So I watched them and Hayner jumped out to me while I was watching. So I've been looking forward to watching him again this year. So those are the two games. Problem with me, I have ESPN player. I get what games are available. Like, you know, sometimes I can get a different game right. on YouTube. Like I was really looking forward to Wisconsin this weekend. Couldn't watch them. Um, and no one's posted it to you. Come on, YouTube. Get every game out there. What's right. going on? Come on. Well, I, th- how wrong is that? I want to watch a game. It's nowhere on YouTube. Every game should be there within an hour of the game ending. Exactly. Um, Faster yeah, than all 22 comes way. out, that's for sure. Who, who, there's a guy I want to give credit to. I think it's Mike Loves Ball. 
Yes, um, I love on, him. On, yep. on YouTube. Yep. That dude, I don't know what that guy does for a living, but he makes posts, YouTube like, clips. Every game condensed. It's great. Which it's it's not ideal because you want to watch full games. Of course. But it's but it's better than nothing. Because yes. you'll get a lot of small schools where you can't, you know, I can watch a guy on zero plays or I can watch him on 25 plays. And if you do that a few times, that's a game, a game and a bit worth of info, which is better than nothing. Um, and that's it's Mike Loves Ball is his YouTube channel. Check it out if you're looking for games and you you know you can knock out a few games in a day. Um, yep. but yeah, those those are the games I'll be looking for. Um, hoping that they are at they are either on ESPN player over here in the UK or at the very least that someone will post them to YouTube and I can watch uh, I can watch Banks and Hayner. Do you get nationally televised games through ESPN player? I don't I don't know because I don't know what right. games oh you don't know what is what I guess so yeah, yeah that's true I just, it's a stupid question I just I yeah. log in and um. it it's mostly <laughs> it it seems to be mostly like the smaller market stuff. Sure um, yes yeah it, it's funny because um, the nationally televised game that I wanted to bring up is USC and Fresno State because my eyes are on Jordan Addison, Addison. U- USC's yeah. wide receiver. He coming in, I'll be completely honest, and you know we can save it for receipts. You know, back in, you know for April when he's not the number one wide receiver, mm-hmm. but right now he's my number my number one wide receiver. Um, he's got the third highest you know rough grade for me. Only behind Will Anderson and Jalen Carter. Um, I don't really value the quarterbacks as highly, but I do have Stroud right behind him. But Jordan Addison is right up there with a very high first round grade for me if the draft were today. He started the season pretty highly. I believe he has four touchdowns. He had 226 yards and two touchdowns last week. And truthfully, USC just looks unstoppable in the Pac 12 with Lincoln Riley obviously coming over from Oklahoma. Then he brought Caleb Williams, the quarterback. And then you have Jordan Addison, who won the Blitnikoff Award last year in Pittsburgh with Kenny Pickett, the only first-round quarterback of this draft class. I think everybody's starting to see that Jordan Addison was not a product of Kenny Pickett. That, and maybe Kenny Pickett wasn't a product of Jordan Addison. We still the, the maybe, jury's maybe still they're out. both they're both it, very good. Exactly, but yeah. Jordan Addison did not skip a beat when he moved out to Cali. No. He has been firing. He plays out wide he plays in the slot primarily in the slot but they do a lot of motion gadget stuff with him i watched four games of him last year and yep. and i just came away so impressed i i have notes that he had just great route running ability and i like the smaller shiftier guys obviously with elijah moore being my my guy but um jordan addison's of that same mold six foot 175 he's shifty the mover shaker type not so much of the big body possession guy so jordan addison i wanted to talk about him earlier on in uh in the in the season before he started blowing up but i'm glad that i've I've gotten him in now and if he's not wide receiver one i think he's got a a good shot to be a first round wide receiver regardless in april and then my my smaller school guy i wanted to bring a small school guy to the table uh texas state offensive guard kyle hergel He's 6'2", 300 pounds. He was a North Dakota transfer, not North Dakota State, North Dakota. Um, so very small schools for him. Um, he and I actually follow each other on Twitter, and he told me, hey, like I want to watch watch my Baylor game. That was my best game from 2021. So I did. I thought he was pretty good. PFF had him ranked as the seventh highest interior uh, guard um, overall scoring with um, minimum snaps ignored and everything. So he was – he was high up there and he kind of slipped under the radar. But when I watched his one game against Baylor, like you said, it's hard to find the small school tape. 
Um, he was rarely on the ground. And I think that's the first thing I write down for almost any offensive lineman. If he's on his ass, whether he's knocking somebody over and just falling with them, or he's getting knocked on his ass, it's not a good look for offensive linemen. So it was good that he was up on, uh, up on his feet. Majority of the snaps he plays, I believe right guard, but he has center potential. I even asked him in DMS. I was like, Hey man, like, can you play center? You look like you could play center. He's like, yeah, I can do it. So he, he definitely can play multiple positions along the offensive line. He had a good anchor and a good base and pass pro. My only knock was he got beat on an inside move twice in the Baylor game. Uh, I want to watch him against Baylor this year, just similar competition, you know, and see how he does. But Kyle Hergo is my guy out of Texas State that I'm watching as a small school guy that could could progress and be a, a possible day two pick if he has high PFF grades again like he does and scouts start liking him. Yeah, I got to say with Addison, I know, and I'm sh- I'm sure we talked about this before. I know I tweeted out like right after the draft in uh in May that that um the way things are going with receivers, I'm taking one. If I'm a GM, I'm taking one of the top three rounds every year. Yep, because the yep. good ones are now making twenty five million a year. Um, and I think the guys I mentioned were Addison. Who did I mention? I forget who now. I mentioned um. Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, my my two favorite guys. I mentioned Kayshawn Butte, who's obviously having some issues at LSU. Right, yeah, but, that's uh, a my, weird one there. You know, you and I, I've I've talked to you quite a bit about Xavier Worthy, who won't be coming out this year, obviously. Yep. But my my two favorite guys, um, my two favorite receivers in this class who I'm expecting to come out, um, Jordan Addison and Josh Downs at North Carolina. Um, Josh oh, okay, Downs yes. just so explosive. Like, I think he's going to be such a big playmaker. So, um, uh, and he, the thing is he had a huge opener. I think he's been a little bit slowed by injury since then. I don't know how much he's played, but Addison right, and Downs, yeah. man, I, I could watch those two all day. Again, Xavier Worthy's another guy. Butte, I haven't seen anything on Butte since that opener when he was benched. I don't know what's going on there, but yeah, very Chip awkward. Kelly, Chip Kelly made some comments about like, yeah, we're going to get him, you know, paying attention to his schoolwork and like stuff you wouldn't normally say publicly, like kind of letting it be known he's not doing well in classes or whatever it is. Um, Butte is a guy who just, I can't remember who it was against last year. I think I watched it last year. I, I don't know if it was last year's game, but he had 99 yards receiving on one drive. Like it wasn't one catch. Like they started the drive, I think from like inside their own 10 and he had these monster catches and then they got a penalty and he got another monster catch. Wow. I, think he, I think he ended up scoring and like he finished the drive with 99 yards receiving. That's um, ridiculous. Just a, just a monster game, but that dude can play. Um, but yeah, of the two guys that will definitely be coming out who are getting on the field, Addison and Downs, love watching both of them. So um looking forward to that, you know, in the in the coming weeks. Yeah, when when I started my my preseason watch, I only got about 25 players into like a deep, deep dive, but I was fully expecting to come away with Jackson Smith and Jigba from Ohio State as my wide receiver one, just just off the hype alone. And I think the Rose Bowl last year when he set the Ohio State record for receiving yards and touchdowns I mean, in the was, game. And that was that was ridiculous. Exactly. And now he's kind of dealing with a little bit of an injury bug. He hasn't gotten off to the best start. So I didn't have him as my number one going in. I think it's kind of safe to say he won't be my number one until we see it from him. But I was fully right. expecting that. So when Addison did pop off as my number one, I was excited to see it, but hey, that's going to do it. Episode two is in the books. This is Jet Nation Live.
for Glenn Naughton and Dylan Terman. We appreciate you guys ch checking in. We had a good amount of viewers, a good amount of comments. I see you guys. We'll get you guys involved next week. I'm learning how to be a better host, and I'll, I'll get all these comments up, and we'll start being way more interactive. But until then, let's keep it close against the Browns. Let's try to stop the bleeding with Miles Garrett. And until next time, let's go Jets.